There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham. Curling, curling. Magnificent all round. Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low. Corey to Ling. And then Ling goes bang. And the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. showpiece as the magpies see off a spirited essence and the swans surge past the hawks but a hard luck story suffers another setback Fremantle flying west coast floundering the dockers dave mundy is our special guest as we take you through another huge round of football and just where are the western bulldogs there is plenty to dissect cameron ling welcome to you Oh, great to be here, Al. Yeah, well, there's plenty to talk about. What a day it was today. We're, we're fresh off coming from the MCG and just that crowd, the, the Anzac ceremony is so incredible. The silence uh, is just a magnificent sound. I know silence isn't a sound, but it is amazing to be there. And then the roar and ups and downs of the crowd and uh, Essendon were brave. They had a real crack. They were so much better than they were last week. And the pies were exciting. Some of their run and creativity they were absolutely brilliant and um, they got that combination of a few of the older boys, the wiser heads, dragged them over the line and the excitement of some of the young guys. It was a fantastic day at the footy. Yeah, it was very special. One of those classic afternoon games at the MCG where the sun's out. Over 84,000 people there. It was the biggest crowd at the MCG since 2019 and an awful lot's transpired since then. It's been a difficult time for everyone and I know people in the West are still experiencing it um, perhaps to a greater degree than we are in Melbourne at the moment. Dave Mundy has been good enough to join us. The timing of this is superb because they're coming off perhaps their best win of the season. Everyone's declaring Fremantle's the real deal. Dave, welcome to you. Thanks for having me, Al. Yeah, it was a great weekend of footy to watch, but even better to be a part of, to be honest. We have our Len Hall game over in the West and uh, they do a fantastic job of it. And it's a great weekend to be a part of. Think about something bigger than ourselves and, and where we've come from and um, for Fremantle, put on a good performance was um, was great. Are you loving it? I mean, as a, a veteran player in the team, to see this young group emerging, Justin Longmuir in his third season as coach, you've gone from seven to ten wins now to five and one to start the season. Just, I don't want you to get carried away by this, but numbers <laughs> do speak. History tells us a story. So, 34 sides since 2010 have been five and one, Dave. 32 have made the finals. 24 have made the top four. So... It is a fantastic start for your team. What are you loving most about what you're doing at the moment? Oh, I think at the moment um, there's probably a couple of things, but the breadth of involvement and the amount of guys who are really carrying the team and, and doing their bit. We're not relying on Andy Brayshaw to get 40 touches every week or Sean Darcy to, to get 40 hit-outs or um, Matt Tabernard kick seven goals every week. It, it feels like it's a really even performance and um, you, know, you can pick out a handful of guys each week who could really you know, best on ground badge could go to. Um, that combined with, you know, a real evolution um, or the next phase of Justin Longmuir's game plan really kicking in. I feel like we've been building to this point for a couple of years and um, we're kind of just executing more efficiently uh, more often. Dave, I'm sensing a, a, a maturity of the group as well, which I, I, I've got to put my hand up and say I thought um, that was a year or two premature. But just the way that uh, you're balancing older, more experienced guys like you, but the young guys just feel like they are taking the victories in their stride. It's not the up of, oh, wow, what a win, aren't we the best thing on earth? And then you might come crashing back to earth. Uh, They feel like, well, this is just a step on where we're going to get to on this journey. That's a real maturity of the group. And that's come sooner than I thought would happen. 
Yeah, I think we have a really strong understanding and, and all the players have a really strong understanding of what our football DNA is, what, how we play our best footy and what we're trying to achieve each week. And that's ultimately driven by the coaches and, and Justin in particular. So um, that's, that hasn't been an overnight thing. That's been a couple of years in the making now. And that combined with a little bit more experience of those younger guys coming through, um, having played more AFL games and having played a lot more together, um, that chemistry, natural chemistry is starting to come out and evolve as well. So we kind of know what each other's going to do in a particular situation. So our challenge moving forward is obviously to con- continue on. And um, history tells us over the last couple of years that we've been poor in the second half of the season. So um, that's a big focus for us. And Dave, I suppose when Justin Longmuir comes in, he has his plan. So there's the period where you drill it and you start to execute it. Then you add the offensive layers as it started to happen this season. And then it starts to click. So is there a moment in a game or is there something that occurs as the team develops where you just go, hey, I can see this now. Like I saw the plan laid down, but now I can actually see it on the ground. Yeah, as I said, that belief is really building. But I think what um, instills greater belief or a greater um, buy-in from all the players is, is potentially when it's not necessarily going our way. We've had a couple of games this year where it's been a bit of an arm wrestle um, in quarters or the first half of the game or whatever, but we've been able to stick to our guns, change change gears slightly, um, focus on slightly different areas of what we're trying to achieve and really flourish off the back of that. So going through that kind of adversity within games, I think has really helped. And just in terms of your lineup, um, your forward line, multifaceted, as you say, Tabiner doesn't need to kick seven every week. Lockie Schultz comes back in, plays a role. Walter's kicked a few goals this week. As well, um, Frederick's been important for you in that respect too. But gee, I've been taken as much as your midfield's fantastic with Sarong and Brody, as you said, the bargain basement pickup of, of the season. Your backline is so strong, and Alex Pierce, he's been luckless with injury. Brennan Cox, unheralded. Luke Ryan's been an All Australian, but if you look at that backline, gee, you're hard to score against. Yeah, and we've kind of feel we felt like this has been coming for a little while. Our our greatest strength, I think, this year um, has been our preparation into the season. We've had a really healthy summer, um, unaffected by COVID lockdowns like the East Coast were throughout summer, um, and so we've been able to kind of bank the training sessions and bank the time together, um, which has really helped us flourish within season. So um, yeah, pre- preparation within seasons, but into seasons plays a huge part in that kind of um, cohesion. Here's where I get to embarrass Dave as well, Al. And you saw it today in today's game, uh, Essendon versus Collingwood, a young Collingwood team, Essendon beating around the contest, lots and lots of clearances. In the last quarter, Scott Pendlebury goes into the middle of the ground. Five clearances, that older, experienced head, took over, spoke to him post-match in an interview, and he spoke about he was sent in there to figure out what Essendon were doing and to get it sorted. So that type of on-field coaching in a young group, a, a growing group, is absolutely integral. The man who's joining us tonight, Dave Mundy, that's what he does for Fremantle as well. When you see Andrew Brayshaw and Caleb Sarong and these types of players able to play with obviously clear instruction and they understand the structure, but also play on instinct and have that calmness and clear-headedness to the way they play, that's because... And here's the embarrassing, I'm going to keep embarrassing you, Dave. Sorry, mate. But just when you've got that on-field coach of a Dave Mundy out there saying, okay, this is what the opposition's trying to do. Let's figure this out. Stay calm in this moment. It's all right. They've got a bit of momentum, but we'll sort through it. When you've got that out on the field, Justin Longmill would be absolutely loving it. So I know you won't say it yourself, Dave, but you and, and these experienced players in Fremantle have to take so much credit for the on-field calm nature that allows these young players to be in a situation where they can thrive. It is so important. Well, well Bomber Thompson used to do that with you, Lingy. He, was, he would often come to you in a break when you weren't playing. Well, he would actually put it on you, wouldn't he? Go out there and get it sorted. It's on you. It's an important function in a team to play. Does, does Justin do that with you, Dave, that he comes to you and says, this is how we need to play. This is what I want you to do out on the ground. Yeah, one of Justin's greatest strengths as a coach is his inclusive nature. He seeks opinion and input um, from all different um, areas of our playing group, not just, you know, the more experienced senior guys, but certainly on, on game day, he entrusts, you know, messages or the feel of the game kind of 
um, snap decisions to the players and backs us in um, to the point where um, if something's popped up and I can grab the phone and talk to him on the bench or we can uh, figure it out on field uh, is obviously the best best method, but certainly that's one of Justin's absolute strengths. Nat Fife's not playing either. Where does Nat Fife slot back into that lineup when your midfield is performing as it is? Does he spend more time forward than he might have thought? Well, possibly. One one thought that probably hasn't gone through many Fremantle's people's minds in the last six years is all of a sudden Nat Fife might become the sprinkles on top of the cake instead of the cake itself. So um, it's an exciting prospect. He's, he's really progressing well over the last couple of weeks with his rehab and um, wherever he slots in, uh, we know how good he can be. He's a competitor though, isn't he? And he has said that he, he thinks the Ford experiment is over for him. He wants to be that midfield dominating player again. As he sees this team evolve, do you think his position would change at all on that? Yeah, I think as the weeks go by, he's probably seeing um, you know the results on field and, and probably having a bit more trust in the group and a bit more understanding of where we're going. And certainly, I know you're right, he is a super, super competitor. And so I don't think it's going to matter when he gets fit, where he plays, to be honest. He, when he was going through his rehab through the summer and with his latest back complaint, he was... Um, like a bear with a thorn in his paw. He was grumpy <laughs> as and he was disappointed he couldn't help out on field. So, um, yeah, he's going to hopefully absolutely explode in the back end of the year for us. Al, can you imagine Nat Five if he plays the role of, uh, now Dusty's the perfect example of this, the forward half hybrid and to borrow a soccer term, midfield striker, like that sort of in-between player, Jake Stringer did it so effectively in the back half of last year, would start in centre bounces and just just go forward. You, you still, still ultimately you're a forward, but you're so good at clearances, so you'll start in a centre bounce or we'll push you up around, float up to a stoppage around 70, 80, 90 metres out from goal and just create some havoc. And Nat Fife doing that combined with that already terrific Fremantle midfield that's full of young guys who've got run and the legs and everything like that, Wow, what a weapon they can hopefully unleash in the back half of the year. There's some pretty special sprinkles, aren't they, to, to come in there. When you think about it, it's what he brings in terms of his own output, but also what it does to the opposition and that level of accountability that he will bring, allowing maybe a Tabiner or a Sonny Wilders a bit more freedom to get off the chain. Because if Nat Fife's in that forward line with his overhead marking ability, he's a player that you absolutely have to pay a lot of attention to. So I think Fremantle's almost the best story of the year. I can't think of too many better at the moment. I know the Saints are going really well, but the resurgence of Fremantle under Justin Longview, they just look so well drilled. Terrific story. It's a very different story for the other team in the West, and we'll get to that. Carlton as well. What did we take out of Carlton's performance? You saw it firsthand, Dave. How do you think they're travelling at the moment? Uh, the Western Bulldogs are a real talking point now too, to be two and four after making the grand final last year. I also want to get your thoughts, Lingy, your thoughts as now an observer on the game, but Dave, a player within the game around the new rule and dissent and its application and the frustration that's been created amongst the fans and perhaps some inconsistency around it. And the medical sub as well, I think, is an interesting one because I looked up, again, the reporting around the medical sub today when it came out and it was very clear it stated that it had to be an injury that a doctor ruled a player out for the rest of the game and would most likely miss the next 12 days. And clearly that is not the case anymore. So interested to get your thoughts on that. But uh, let's start with something that caught our eye. What did you love across the course of the weekend of football, Lingy? I've got to go to the Crows. I've got to give them the credit. I, I thought the Bulldogs were building a little bit of form, albeit they had an uh, easy kill against North Melbourne on the Good Friday game. But going to Ballarat, just thinking, okay, the dogs will start churning here. The liver's gone back into the middle of the ground. Here come the dogs. Now, I, I do put a little asterisk in. They sound like they've had the most horrific week from a, um, a Bulldogs community and, uh, and that close, tight-knit um, football department and, and the players and that. So that certainly happened for the dogs. But I, I, I've got to give so much credit to the Crows. Here was a team where it was doom and gloom, what, four weeks ago, five weeks ago, when there was club legends and directors and that's having a bit to say. There was all this noise. Have, is Matty Nix the man? All this sort of stuff. They just continue to play very, very good football. And names like Keys and Frampton and Shoal and O'Brien and Murphy and McAdam, none of those are household names. Certainly not here in Victoria, but they front up and they play terrific footy and they have a crack. And to Tex Walker's credit, 
Um, he's got a, still a long, long way to go to win back the respect uh, with what he's done and what he's been through. Um, he's got a lot of work to do, but his football, he's come back and he's just playing sensational football. So the Crows for me, Al, they've caught my eye big time uh, with the, their resilience as a group. Yeah, I think Taylor Walker can only be judged on his actions now, Cardi, and he's certainly getting the football piece of, of that right. And the, and the continuing work in progress of him off-field is something that I think is the other layer that, that people will watch. It has been suggested in some sections of the media that it's, it's almost wrong to create a hero out of Tex Walker, but I think you have to commend what he has done on a, the back of a six-week absence from the game, going back to last year where he missed the last three rounds, this year when he missed three rounds. He's had a period where he has endured immense shame. He's done something deplorable and something that he naturally regrets a lot. But his output on the field, he's, he has been a commanding presence for the Adelaide Crows. And I'd love to see how many Brownlow votes he's polled in the first few rounds of, of the competition because he's been absolutely on fire. Dave, what, what caught your eye across the weekend? Anything you really loved about the round of footy? Absolutely, yeah. Mine's a little bit broader again, but um, the small men up forward, small forwards, they, they play in what's typically known as Death Valley. It's hard to get a kick. They've got a backman punch them in the ear as often as he can. Um, but over the round of the weekend, and excuse me, but I'll read the names out. The small forwards who have kicked three goals or more this weekend, Jack Higgins, Lockie Schultz, Charlie Cameron, Nick Holman, Ben Ronk, Jack Ginevan, Alec Waterman today, uh, and the man who's coming uh, sixth in the Coleman medal, only four behind the leader, Zach Bailey, a massive haul uh, the other night. They're the greatest showman in our game and they got some just reward for some of the effort that they put on behind the scenes uh, that doesn't get spoken about much with some, uh, with some scoreboard impact. So it's great to see. Yeah, it's fantastic. As, um, I think Higgins has now kicked 14 goals for the season, hasn't he? Lingy, he's an absolute excitement machine, um, real character of the game. You're an All-Australian selector. I'm going to put a, a Dave Mundy Fremantle cap on and put one to you a little later on around a player that I wonder whether he might be in your All-Australian team as it stands through round six. And now, Dave Lingy's declared that as we go through the season, when it comes to the rising star and the All-Australian team, he's going to give us plenty at the start of the season. But as it reaches that pointy end, he's going to go just a little bit conservative in how much he's prepared to give so we can get anything and everything we want out of him at the moment, it's open slather. So, but what about Jake Higgins? He has to be in the conversation as a small forward, doesn't he? He, he does, more than in the conversation right now. Um, yeah, there's still a lot of the season to go and some and players playing good footy, but he's been brilliant and a big reason why the Saints are, are flying. What I've loved most is internally, St Kilda put it on him after the round one performance. They were not happy. They, they let him have it uh, on a few of the facets of his game. And that's, uh, it's still a fine line um, with the more modern generation. Um, if I can show my age here, that if you put it on them too hard, you can lose them and the confidence goes and there's a little bit of, oh, hang on, no, he's gone a bit hard on me, that sort of thing. Jack Higgins was hit between the eyes and he took it on board. He listened, worked on it and straight away had a response to it. So the full credit goes to him. He he took the feedback and has just got to work and is playing brilliant footy. So, yeah, if you had to hit pause right now and demand to know what that All-Australian team was looking like, he's getting a big vote for me at the moment. He has been brilliant. And, and even more so because of the response to those coaches really hitting him hard. All right, well, let's not dilly-dally. I want to know right here and right now, is Brayshaw in your All-Australian team? Because I've been so taken with his ball-winning ability, but, but is there a better tackler at the moment, Dave, in the competition? You do not get out of a Brayshaw tackle. He is an absolute competitive beast. Lingy, surely you've got him in your team. <laughs> Andrew I mean, Brayshaw? are hard to come by. Oh, they are hard to come by, but, yeah, no, don't worry. He's he's right there. That's <laughs> um, I can't give away too much, but I Fremantle are one of my favourite teams to watch at the moment, uh, just the way they play. They take the ball forward, they score, they play with energy and intent. There's not this, here you go, you can have it 40 times and just go backwards and sideways and I can get another mark and I can get another uncontested mark. You know what? They're just, those players, I'm putting a line through this year, you take the ball forward and you have high impact. I, as I said last week, Isaac Heaney right now is vying for one of the, the best player in the competition. He's impact, Andrew Brayshaw is huge impact, so absolutely. 
right. My, the thing that caught my eye, you mentioned it, Dave, the name earlier, but Jack Ginevan at the MCG today, he is this brash young kid who does not care what anyone thinks about him. At one point, he got a dubious free kick in the forward pocket down at the punt road end where all the Essendon fans were. He kicked the goal. He turned to the fans who were booing and giving it to him, and he silenced them. He put the finger over his mouth and he silenced them. He's got that bleach blonde hair. You don't know what colour it's going to be from one week to the next. His dad, Craig, was on radio as I was driving home. He's a real character as well. So he's such a great story for a teenager. I think it hadn't been since 2002, since um, Mark McGough in his second game won the Anzac Day medal as a teenager that we'd had one winners. And, and he was electric today. Those small forwards, like you say, when they're on, they're so exciting. And he's got some personality to go with it. I, I did enjoy his speech afterwards as well because it sort of sounded like the type of thing you'd hear at an under-13 best and fairest <laughs> some young kid gets up and doesn't really know what to say, but they're just thrilled to be there. Go Pies was his parting comment. So <laughs> uh, He's going to rile a few people up, I reckon. Essendon fans have already got him in the gun and I don't think they'll be the only club supporters who do across the course of his career. Dave, own up. How do you go with the, this, these young guys? I, I'm with you, Al. Brilliant, brilliant one, um, Jack Ginneman. Superb. But these kids who come in, they've got all the swagger in the world as one of the elder statesmen. Yeah. How do you cope with it? Oh, it's a bit of a challenge. There is a, almost a generation gap between me and these draftees coming in now. But um, my brother-in-law was actually one of those Essendon fellas giving it to uh, Jack Inman over the fence today. Um, so I'll just slide that one in there. But more and more, you just got to give these guys room to grow. We love the expression. We love the personality. And if you can back up peroxided hair with a performance like you have today, like, go for it. Uh. <laughs> it's a good point. Um Let's turn our attention to the match in Launceston today because Hawthorne was up five goals, two to nothing at the start of that game. And then Sydney has just, in a workmanlike fashion, reeled them in and then put them away in the final turn, one by 41 points, kicked the last eight goals of the game. So, again, you get this little snapshot into what Hawthorne's building. I don't think anyone would have given Hawthorne too much of a chance, albeit at a ground where they've had wonderful success over the years. But Sydney is a vastly better side, I think, and has more at its disposal than Hawthorne. But, gee, there was a lot talked about the Clarkson-Mitchell handover, whether, you know, it could be a failure, whether it was wrong to get rid of Clarkson, the master coach. But you have to put your hand up and say that Sam Mitchell has come in and had a very positive influence on the group early on. Is that how you see it, Lee? Yeah, doing a really good job. Absolutely. You can see the, the shift in game style and we talked, I was just giving Fremantle a pump up and, and Isaac Heaney and those types of players a pump up for impact and faster ball movement and prepared to take the ball forward. That's how Sam's wanting Hawthorne to play. Now, at the moment, they're not good enough to do it super consistently, but they're going to continue to trouble teams all year. They beat a Geelong team who were 5% off their game and not up for it, and they put, put them away. Outstanding. They took it right up to Sydney, and ultimately just Sydney had a little bit too much class in the end, like Callum Mills and these types of players were just superb. Um, and, and they got over the top of them. But Hawthorne is going to be a massive handful all year because they play with that speed and intent to, to move it forward and, and give the forwards a chance. And you're always a threat. Yes, there's potential to always be scored against as well while you're learning how to do that. But you're always going to be a threat and, and dangerous to the opposition. And the Swans look good, don't they, Dave? I wonder, are they in a, a sort of a similar phase to your team in a way with the list build that they've got, you know, a few good players in that mid-20s, a lot of good young players, a couple of older players as well? What have you made of Sydney's start to the season? Yeah, Sydney, I think even on the back of last year, popped probably quicker than most people had expected them to. They've, they've found their rhythm as a team really quickly and... Um, I think you're right. Today, the expectation, even a quarter time, the expectation is that they'll get it done and their class and um, team structure will will see them through. But um, just quickly back to the Hawks. What I love about the Hawks is their emotional ability to like fully invest and buy into the game. It's becoming their trend is to really launch into games this year. And ultimately, like when you said, they can't sustain that through four quarters. But I guess the hope from the Hawthorne coaching staff is that it was a quarter today against a really good team. And maybe next week it might be a quarter and a half. And, and by the end of the year, hopefully they can sustain that for a longer period of time. And then into next year and the year after and through Sam's tenure, they can become really consistent. 
Yeah, that, that was a, a really strong finish from the Swans today. And, and Hawthorne, again, as much as they lose the game and they do cough up goals late, there's still some positives to be drawn from it. The, the disappointing feature of today's game was, again, Paddy McCartan was concussed and subbed out of the game. He coughed the knee, an accidental knee during the contest. The reports out of Sydney, John Longmore in his uh, press conference said that, that Paddy was feeling good. He did participate in the song. He was out on the ground, I think, in the aftermath. And But it is going to be another absence for, for Paddy McCartan. So he's not going to be able to play against Brisbane under the, the concussion protocols. Let's hope that it's nothing serious. But again, it reminds us of just how fragile the whole scenario is for a player that is coming back from so many concussions and had a long period out of the game. And he put himself in a, a position earlier where I thought it was going to be worse for him. That marking contest where he went back with the flight and got absolutely smashed. And you could see immediately after that, his brother, Tom, just real concern straight away. And I think we all thought, oh, no, here we go. That's a bad one. He was fine from that one. It was this really unlucky one with the, the knee to the head that ended up the worst. So uh, you, just, you just hope he's going to be okay. Hopefully there's no delayed concussion from this one well and I think the um the most worrying aspect yeah, of the whole Paddy McCartan story is the repeated nature of it it's not just a big one this week and okay he'll see his whole days it's the fact that he's had a history of a lot of them and what will that look like you know in 10 or 20 or 30 years time for him it's it's a scary thought how many concussions have you had Dave across the course of your career um, I've only had one uh, really bad one in juniors and then a couple of where a bit groggy, so it's still concussed, but a little bit groggy and, and wandered off and, and not played the rest of the game. So maybe two or three in my career, so I've been quite fortunate. And, Lingy, you've spoken about your own concerns about what the implications of, of heavy hits on you might hold for you later down the track. I mean, we don't know an enormous amount about CTE because you can only really diagnose it in, in the aftermath of someone's life. So what about you, Dave? Do you have any concerns about, you know, any trauma post-football career when you're an older person in life? Um, yeah, certainly something I think about and more thinking about the research is suggesting that it's not even those big concussions, it's the continual sub-concussive impacts that you go through laying a tackle or getting tackled or, you know, those like little ones that don't actually rattle you but shake things around a little bit. So, yeah, it's certainly in the back of, I think, most players' minds and um, the new protocols that have come in place in the recent history, I think, are, are a really good step forward. But I think ultimately this will be an evolving space where, yeah, the utmost care um, and regard for the person's health will be, you know, absolute priority. You're listening to the Al and Lingy podcast with special guest Dave Mundy from the Fremantle Dockers, who are five and one to start the season. We need to talk about the Blues. We need to talk about the Western Bulldogs. We need to talk about the West Coast Eagles. Dave, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on how they're travelling and what the very mood in Western Australia is like with that power club struggling to such an extent. Port Adelaide getting a win on the weekend. And then the rule change that we've seen around descent. How's it been implemented? Uh, what is the players' perspective on it? We'll get all that next. Al and Lingy Show. So let's move on to Carlton. Dave, you got a, an up close and personal look at the Blues on Saturday night. Um, obviously, the way you're able to nullify both Mackay and Kerno was significant in the, in the outcome of the game. And Cripps and Walsh and, and those types of players got a lot of the ball again. Chera, who was booed many a time because he got a lot of the ball. Firstly, let's start with Chera. How, how did you see the, the warm welcome he got from the Fremantle faithful? Yeah, I think it was as anticipated. Oh, I think that happens to every player who goes back to his original club's home ground. But, but um, I, he handled it really well. He's, he's a pretty mature um, individual and um, played a pretty good game, to be honest. It was... Sonny Walters got him a holding the ball tackle and kicked the goal, which was nice for the local fans and for the people in purple. So, um, no, he played a great Any game. Blood or is there just an understanding in modern football that players are going to leave clubs that that element of loyalty is not there to the extent that it was? Yeah, there's certainly a level of disappointment, I guess, still, but certainly no resentment. We um, Throughout the whole process, I think Adam even came out through the trade period and said... Um, he really enjoyed his time at Fremantle and it was purely a family um, decision to get back closer to 
his family and his girlfriend and, and the rest of that. And uh, I think his football's continued on the trajectory that he built in the West. So, yeah, there's certainly no lingering, um, yeah, resentment or, or any you know, ill feeling toward Adam. And what, what did you see in Carlton? What, how do you think they're going? They've had a, a strong start to the season, but they've now dropped a couple of games. And if you looked at Fremantle and Carlton heading in, you were both four and one. Carlton had probably beaten a couple of teams that suggested their body of work was a little superior to yours on the basis of wins over the Western Bulldogs and Richmond. This was a great test for your team to, to really show its, its colours. What, what did you see in Carlton? Yeah, Carlton, I guess, had similar trends to Hawthorne so far this year where they've really exploded into games and been able to you know, trap the ball in their front half through you know, really dominant clearance work. And then their small forwards have really got to work and pressured the opposition, created turnover, and their big guys have really reaped the benefit of that. Kurnow has been really dynamic. He's been great to have back in the league, to be honest. We've missed him for a little while now through injury, and, and he's um, just an absolute specimen. He's, he can do some amazing things physically. Um, and McKay has, has done it for a couple of years now, but he's just a towering massive unit who marks higher than the goalposts. So uh, it was good that we were able to get a bit of pressure on up the ball, up the ground on the ball, create a bit of dirty entry into um, Carlton, and, and Bax ultimately got the job done. So yeah, we, I think they're a very good side around the contest, and I think they'll have more wins than losses moving forward. And that's a really good point you make, Dave, about Carlton and the amount of pressure that you're able to put onto them, and it, it, it almost it forced them to in my eyes, overhandle the football. I mean, just on pure stats, Al, you go, Carlton had more disposals than Fremantle, but only went inside forward 50, 38 times. Mm. So when you have 381 disposals, but you only go inside forward 50, 38 times and for nine goals. The it 56 is a- Fremantle, I think, as well, weren't they? They had less of the ball, but the inside 50 count was 56 to 38. Yeah, correct. So, again, Fremantle, super efficient and, and pumping up. Love the way they played. Just a little thing for Carlton. I think they're now very – they're happy with the way they're going. They're playing some good football. Um, some players are starting to feel good about themselves. And just getting that balance right between – got to get the ball and get possessions and then as a midfielder that is you know you've got to find the footy but you've also got to impact with the footy so having heaps and heaps and heaps of the footy but it not resulting in the ball inside forward 50 forwards a chance and scoring well ultimately it doesn't matter then how much of the footy you're getting it's it's not benefiting your team and helping your team to score um but i also do think um a heap of that credit goes to Fremantle and forcing them to overuse that footy and not able to really go forward in an efficient manner. So just a couple of things now for Michael Voss and his team to work on with, yeah, they've got a good midfield and yeah, they've got a good forward line, but how do we make sure we still win plenty of the ball as midfielders, but it's dangerous ball and it's really impactful ball that then gives Charlie Kerno and Harry Mackay a chance to go to work. Am I get the chance to go to work this Saturday night? They're playing North Melbourne and the, the Kangaroos were soundly beaten by Geelong at Blunston Arena in Hobart on the weekend. And, and just as we've been speaking, I've seen the match review officer's uh, report come through and Ben Mackay has been offered a one-match sanction for rough conduct on Reece Stanley in the final quarter of that match in Hobart. Now, I called the gambling in. I know you watched it as well. I, I actually have no memory of any incident involving those two players. So I'll, I'll need to take a look at that in North Melbourne might need to take a look as well to see whether there's any case that they can mount to get him off because the way North played combined with the fact that Mackay is probably their best defender and and took multiple intercept marks for them with the ball coming in time and time again on the weekend they're going to have a handful with Mackay and Kerno, his brother and and Kerno, without him in the side. Yeah I I don't I'd love to be able to back you up here Al. I have no idea what the incident is because I just didn't note anything and I was watching closely because I was hoping the cats had bounced back and (laughs) knock off the Kangas and seeing how many Jeremy Cameron might kick but that'll be a huge blow. If he's out uh, and they're already under the pump, gee they turned the footy over north. That was horrendous. Oh it was awful and 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 I think I really like David Noble and his messaging and, and everything that's going about. But I have this fear of them just slowly sinking into uh, doubt and bad habits and then this feeling of complete irrelevance to the competition, just bad loss after bad loss. So somehow they need to find a competitive edge on a consistent basis. They're not yeah. going to win many games, 
They are in well and truly in that rebuilding phase. So the wins might not come, but they've got to find a competitiveness somehow. Otherwise, it just it it just snowballs into complete doom and gloom. So I think Geelong were plus 12 in contested possession in the first quarter. David Noble goes out, addresses his team. He obviously asks for more in, in that category, and, and he got it. From there on in, the, the contest was far better from North Melbourne. But as you say, those basic skill execution errors, sometimes under minimal pressure, they conceded 11 goals, 13, I think it was, from turnover. So that could have very easily been 16 goals from from turnover. And some of them were just horrific. There were times where North Melbourne had the ball inside their 50, failed to manufacture a score from good position, and then Geelong would whisk it down the other end and, and make them pay. So, yeah, consecutive 10-goal losses for North Melbourne. And then, of course, you go back a few weeks and they were humbled as well by, I think, 108 points by Brisbane. So it's a, it's a tough period they're going through at the moment. Sort of leads nicely into alarm bells. Where are the alarm bells ringing for you at the moment, Dave Mundy? Who's under pressure? Player, coach, individual, league, umpire, anyone? Who have well, you got in your sights? Yeah, I, um, I actually had Paddy McCartan. We brought him up a little bit earlier on the back of his uh, his episode um, this, or this morning for me, this afternoon for you guys. Um, but we've already spoken about him, so mine's been used up, sorry. That's fine. That's good. That's good. It was a good one. Lingy, what have you got? Well, I, I've got to go, and I know you've mentioned you want to talk about them, so let's talk about them now. The West Coast Eagles. They're, that, oh, Yes, they've been through all sorts of, hell with the COVID protocols and players out and, and all of this but I don't know now that that was whoa, that was awful that was a team Port Adelaide who were completely devoid of confidence themselves they were struggling copying it from all angles in Adelaide and West Coast just didn't fire a shot they've got too many good players still playing to be that bad it was awful so that's the one for me Al well, yeah. 84 points, the magnitude of that loss. Jamie Cripps kicked the first goal 46 seconds into the game. And I did the rough, rough, rough math scoring the game on the fly, but I think it was an hour and 28 minutes West Coast went of playing time in that game without kicking another goal. It was the heaviest ever defeat to Port Adelaide. And I'm just not sure you can advance the missing players alibi um, on this front any longer because they played spiritless football. They, they were not selfless in the way that they played. They had too many passengers. They're still missing Oscar Allen, Nick Natanui, Jeremy McGovern, yes, Andrew Gaff. They're all good players. Yeah. But Luke Shuey's back in the side. Elliot Yo gets concussed, but he, but he did start the game for them. Um, Tim Kelly started like a house on fire, faded out of the game. It, it just pointed to something else, that there was a lack of effort. You look at the good teams and the way they play, it's sustained. There's a selflessness, a commitment to the way they play. They look completely shot, Lingin, and it's hard to see how they turn it around because the way they've built the list, they've shown a lot of faith in those premiership stars from 2018. They haven't had early draft picks for a long time. So it's like something quite drastic has to happen to, to shake West Coast back to life. Yeah, and I mean, they are very, very good players, you list, who aren't playing. So, yes, that is still going to, if you are playing against a... Uh, let's let's call it a Brisbane, a St Kilda at the moment, a Fremantle as well. Those key players missing can be the reason why you lose the game. Absolutely. They are too good of players to dismiss as having no bearing on the result. But when you're playing against a team that hasn't had a win and you've still got very good players running around and only a couple of weeks ago, we they showed what all-out effort and all-out commitment to everything that needed to be done could do and you could pinch a win... Um, that the, the players out is not an excuse when you're playing against a, a team on zero wins and to get belted like they did. I, I don't know what the answer, I don't know what the reason is. I, I, I almost, it's, I find it hard to guess, Al, but they were so bad against a team who's been really poor themselves. I don't know where Adam Simpson takes his group now for the next week. Somehow, you can't just click the fingers and the confidence comes back. Those players come back in and, yes, they give it a boost, but there's going to be players running around who just have complete doubt in themselves. So I'm not sure what the answer is from here for West Coast. Oh, I just I have no idea and I didn't see this poor an effort coming from a team like West Coast. And they play Richmond on Friday night to kick off round seven. So 
whether Dustin Martin makes the trip, he has been back at Punt Road uh, on the weekend and also did a running session Monday morning with Josh Caddy at the club. So he's inching closer to a return. I think it'd be surprising if he jumped on a plane and went to Perth for a match against the Eagles, but perhaps the following week, I think they play Collingwood at the MCG. That might be a possibility. We'll wait and see there. But, gee, Dave Mundy, you can just bask in the purple glow in the West at the moment. It must be a beautiful environment for a Fremantle player over there with you guys going so well and the, the passing of the ships in the night as West Coast goes in the completely opposite direction. Well, yeah, to be frank, from a purple's perspective, it is it is nicer than the alternative. Um, but my, I, I stand by my most exciting time in AFL football is when both WA teams have been up and flying. Um, the rivalry and the competition and the hype that that brings, not just for our clubs, but for the whole um, league has been you know, really, really beautiful to be a part of, to be honest. And hasn't happened very often, I'll, I'll add. But yeah, West Coast, uh, I think, really struggling on the back of having limited um, preparations over the last couple of years. I don't think this is a this pre-season or, or this COVID interruption thing. I think over the last 18 months, over, over the last two seasons, we've seen this trend from them where, um, you know, good players have come back in and then been expected to really pop and, and carry the team forward and they just haven't been able to. And, and those keys, you know, their stars have been repeatedly injured over that period of time. So... It takes a toll, and particularly as you get on in your career, and um, you know you have to. It feels like you have to do more for the same result or slightly less results. Um, it takes a toll, so it's going to be interesting to see how they um, attack the games coming up. Because I think you're right, Lingy, where they find a win might be a little bit difficult, but you know what they focus on and what they really improve on within games will be interesting to see. How important is it for them to to play young players? Um... I worked with Brad Hardy on that that game and he was quite firm that they needed to drop some senior players, that the likes of Jack Darling needed to be dropped. He felt like Luke Shuey was, as much as he's been injured and coming back into the team, just showing some signs that the end was approaching. Is it, can you shake players into form by dropping them back a level? Do you need to promote youth given the scenario that they're in? And, and do they have that very youth to, to call on? What's what's underneath the existing group of players at the moment? Well, I think this is where their injuries and the COVID really does tie in nicely because they are pretty thin at the moment. And so to drop somebody like Luke Shuey or Jack Darling, um, like it's been reported, it's obviously a big call, but, but are you automatically just downgrading for the sake of you know two or three years' time, which is a pretty hard pill for a really big, passionate supporter base to swallow? Um, or do you try and back those guys in to find a few of their legs and, and really help drive the team forward and execute some of those you know, smaller basics within the game that they can focus on? Hmm. What about the Western Bulldogs, Lingy? They're in a spot of bother at the moment as much as there's still a lot of talent in that side. They played in a grand final last year. You mentioned how difficult a week for the club was with um, the loss of Mitch Wallace's partner's mother and obviously they were expecting their second child as well and that, that child's arrival was, was later than had been expected so it was a, a horrific week really a galling week for the football club but they lose again and they're two and four and, and it's hard to see how they can start to climb back to a really meaningful position as much as Essendon presents an opportunity to bounce back for them this Sunday they're they're well off where they were and they're struggling to score that's a, been an ongoing theme for them well, again, and it comes back to a little bit around the discussion we just had about Carlton. Their high possession, they they get a heap of disposal. They just don't get the ball inside forward fifty. They don't have an efficiency with their ball use. And I, I think, uh, fortunately for all of us footy spectators, the competition has shifted this year. The teams that are going really, really well and are really good teams are efficient with their ball use. We're not, they don't need to have it 400 times now and just flicking it all around and going nowhere with it or trying to control it. They actually go forward. Fremantle, St Kilda playing superb football. Melbourne are obviously the benchmark. Brisbane, they don't mess around with it too much. It goes forward. Whereas the Western Bulldogs are still reliant on they have to dominate contested possession that is just a must for them well they've won at lingy i think in one game of their six this season so that is so far off their best football because that has been the key facet of the way they've played hasn't it it, it is and, and when you've got a 
forward line or, or a ball use in a system that goes forward that isn't that efficient, you have to dominate. It has to be plus 15, 16 minimum for you to then win games and be able to score enough. Teams know that though. Teams take their, their, the one wood away from them and say, well, okay, if we can break even or even, uh, even if we lost it by one or two, we're okay with that against the Western Bulldogs. So they, they load up in that area and they have a real focus on it. The dogs need, because they've got such a good midfield, they actually need to shift their system now to be getting the ball forward more often, uh, quicker. They've, they've got a forward line that I know isn't firing right now, but it's actually got a little bit of talent up there mm. and could fire a little bit. So maybe it's a, it's a sacrifice of a few extra handballs or a few extra little, their little handball club sort of setup that's um, been really good for them. Um, forget about those few extra handballs, get it forward. Get it forward and trust and have some even numbers ahead of the ball. We go to work and we've got Norton and we've got Hagen and maybe we've got Bont up there and we can go to town. We've got some small forwards who can put a heap of pressure on it and buzz around. And, and they, just got, they, they just need to shift their system and their mechanisms, I think, to sacrifice some disposals for a lot more entries and a lot more efficiency. And they'll look different when he returns. I think mid-year, Josh Bruce is targeting a return. He was playing really well for them in that two-pronged forward line with Aaron Norton. If he can get back, get back to some of his best football on the back of the ACL, that'll change things for the Dogs as well. And Tim English not playing. Um, he is an important player for the Western Bulldogs, there's no doubt about that. His capacity to go forward is improving in the ruck, but it's around the ground where he can do quite a bit of damage, winning the ball for the Dogs as well. So I don't see it as irreparable for the Western Bulldogs, but they have made life difficult for them at, at this stage of the year. Um, I'm really interested to get your thoughts, Dave Mundy, on the Medi-Sub. What is your understanding of the Medi-Sub rule in the AFL? Um, the Medi-Sub, my understanding is that it was initiated as a concussion protocol and was um, designed so that if somebody was concussed, um, then you would have a replacement player to really, you know, protect and, and I guess sanctify that if you are concussed, you cannot go back on. And then in its um, hurried nature and trying to get it implemented into the um, rules before season, it kind of got morphed into this injury and the, um, I guess the protocol around it is what you mentioned earlier, you had to be ruled out, I guess, for the next week, Could, or couldn't return to play and be ruled out for the next week ultimately, um, which is obviously not what's happening more often than not. So is your, from your perspective, would Knowing how Fremantle operates and what Justin Longmuir does, let's say you were playing in a game and you were sore and you probably could have got through the game, but there's a huge game coming next week and the game's in hand. Would Justin Longmuir sub you out of the game with an eye to next week now, knowing that there would be no repercussion for it? Well, I think that's the key part of it is that there's no repercussion. And so is it breaking the rules if there's no you know, penalty or um, out, negative outcome from it? It's clearly not from AFL House and the rest of it. So um, I think in that scenario, everyone, well, you definitely would. Lingy? Well, Dave's spot on. If the, if the rule is there and they allow it and you can exploit it and there's, there is no repercussions, why wouldn't you? I mean, it, 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 there needs to be either come out and state that it's um, basically a 23rd player and you can have a sub, no red vest, green vest, any nonsense like that, but you've just got that extra player there at any point in time that you can pull the trigger on. Have it as that, okay, cool, we know what it is. Or make sure you follow up and, and back up the fact that, okay, this player's been subbed out, and even if he is eventually able to play the following game, but he needs to be highly doubtful for the following game. He needs to, It needs to be an injury severe enough that he would genuinely make it worse by continuing to play, um, that he could legitimately face a fitness test two days before the game next week to play. And if he gets through, great, fantastic. Recovery methods are, are fantastic these days. But it's got to be a genuine injury. It cannot be a cork thigh or it cannot be <laughs> a little bit sore. Um, because right now, though, you argue and go, a cork thigh hurts. It restricts your ability to run. It's it's a painful thing. Um, so, therefore, I should be able to use a medical sub. Well, no, that's not what the medical sub was there for. Yeah, it's I, not per least. 
I personally think it needs to go all the way back to it is only for concussion. Yeah, I agree with you on that, actually. I think it's, it's something that was hurried through, as, as you said, Dave. The, the rule was actually introduced on the Wednesday before the first game of the season in, in round one of 2021. So it was, it was done in a, in a very brisk nature. And I think the coaches had pushed for that medical sub on the back of the concussion so we all support, I think, the need to ensure that there are parameters to make sure concussion is seriously dealt with. And if that means allowing another player onto the field if someone's concussed, yes, I can live with that. But the idea that you can bring on a fresh player, as happened at the MCG today. So let, let's see what happens with Jaden Laverty and, and his knee injury. But Nick Hind was a fresh running player who came onto the ground and clearly a fresh player in the last quarter who can run like Nick Hind is going to have an influence <laughs> on the game. Of course they are. So... I understand there was a huge backlash. People hated the green and the red sub vest. They hated the sub when it used to exist. But we've essentially got it again, minus the vests, don't we? Yep, correct. Exactly right, Al. Do Make you it think it should exist, Dave? Should there be a medi sub, or do you think it should just be a concussion-based thing? Yeah, no, I um, I and I think most of the players are all for the concussion sub. Um, the injury part felt like it just got a bit of a runaway train before they were trying to implement it, but. Um, at the moment, it feels like um, where the Medi sub sits before he's allowed onto the field on the bench is governed more strongly than the actual rules. So uh, I'd be all, I'd be fully supportive of it just becoming a concussion sub. Yeah. Now, while we're on the theme of officiating and rules and all of that kind of stuff, let's get to perhaps the most contentious one that's um, been surrounding the AFL in the opening rounds of the season, and that has been dissent. So. I actually looked up the word dissent recently just to really understand exactly what the true meaning of it was. And it is to essentially disagree with a commonly held view or the official position on something. So I suppose we can interpret the umpire as holding the official position. And I did speak to someone from the AFL at the MCG today. And yes, they confirmed to me that if you show any disagreement with the umpire's decision, it's a 50 metre penalty. And to be honest, I can live with that because... I think there has been too much back chat to umpires over the years and, and too much argument around decisions. You're never overturning an umpire's decision and kids copy everything that the elite players do. But if you're going to do it, you have to apply it consistently. And the number of decisions that you have seen let go by umpires and then those that stand out as being of, of lesser nature paid 50 metre penalties, it's... I find it almost farcical the way it's been implemented. I think the intention is fantastic. The execution has been messy. How do you guys see it? Dave, I'll let you go first on that one because I've got, uh, I've got something to add. I'll, uh, I'll let you fire away, though. I'm with both barrels slinging. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> no, I, I love it. I'm all for it. Um, I understand the frustrations around the consistency of it, but I would point to any other rule that's umpired during an AFL game and say no, none of them are. And, you know, we and the umpires are, are all human and everyone makes mistakes and they're going to miss some. Um, and obviously this week was a, there was a really big focus on it this week. So I, I think I would have almost preferred there be too many and some really iffy ones given this week just to fully stamp it. But I think... With a pretty extraordinary um, debate in public circles last week, I think there was a pretty immediate behavioural change within the playing group over the weekend. I think that was pretty evident. I agree with you, Dave. Really strongly agree with you. But I would also just want to say, Brett Rosebury, take a bow today. One of the most wonderful umpires we have in the game. Super experienced. I know not every umpire can be of the quality and experience of a person like Brett Rosebury. But there was an incident today... I think it was John Noble, maybe, who, who felt that he touched the ball in a marking contest yep, and yep. a mark was paid. Now, he turned and basically said, I, oh, not, not even as aggressive as I'm doing right now, I touched the ball. I put the hand up, sort of, you know, touch, touch. That could have quite easily in a lesser umpire's hands been seen as dissent and a 50-metre penalty. Brett, to his credit, said it was a respectful question asked by... John Noble, I hope it was John Noble. Uh, he asked it in a, moment, in a moment of spontaneity of, oh, I thought it was touched. He used his hands to gesture that he'd, he'd touched and Brett hand and said, I'm completely comfortable with that interaction between player and umpire and I'm not going to pay a 50-metre penalty. Get on with the game. 
outstanding umpiring. I still think there needs to be scope for that in the game. If you turn to an umpire and you have a respectful interaction and you ask the question of, hey, that was touch. I touched the ball in the marking contest. Did you see him holding me at the same time? Um, was, was that a push in the back or was I just holding my space in the marking contest? If you can ask those questions in a really respectful manner to the umpire and he can turn around and say, I never saw you touch the ball. That's why I paid the mark. I, all I saw was your tug of the jumper on him. I think that you pushed him in the back. You weren't just protecting space. Outstanding interaction, highly respectful. That needs to stay in the game. It can't be 50-metre penalty, black and white, every single time any player asks a question or shows even the slightest bit of uh, dissent. I hesitate to use that word. To the agreement. Disagreement, much better. That's where the problem lies, Lingy, because that is the rule. If you disagree with the umpire, if you are seen to disagree with the umpire, and and you would have to say that if you turn to the umpire and you say, I touched that, you're essentially saying, umpire, you're wrong. I touched that. That constitutes 50 metres under the rule. We still need to have human behaviour, human interaction between umpire and player. And Brett Rosebury was outstanding in his adjudication of I'm completely comfortable with that being a quality interaction between umpire and player get on with the game great job if that is at all in a raised voice if is if that is in all at all in an aggressive manner if the arms are waving uh, excessively or anything like that I'm sure Brett would have paid the 50 meter penalty and wouldn't have hesitated and I agree with that because I'm all for cracking down on player um, descent towards an umpire. But there still needs to be the human factor taken into account. Just another layer of subjectivity and great add to a competition <laughs> with all sorts of it. Dave, do you feel like you can still converse with the umpires, get some clarity around decision-making despite this rule change? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, well, my, one of my greatest... Um, I guess, ha- bits of happiness out of the weekend were how many itchy heads there were throughout the games with players scratching <laughs> their head all of a sudden. Um, now, I-, I still feel like there's, um, there's scope and space for those discussions and we absolutely know it needs to be obviously in a respectful tone and the immediate emotional response from a negative interaction or, or um, execution of you know, what you're doing as a player can really derail that really quickly. So I think trying to cut back on that behavioural excessive body motion really helps um, a player stay grounded and then have that conversation on the mark really quickly. Um, I know clubs and the AFL and the umpires do a, used to, before COVID hit, did a, a whole body of work to try and incorporate and enhance player and umpire relationships so that those discussions can be um, really respectful and really personal because we have a bit of a, a connection, a bit of history with that umpire. Um, so it'd be great to get back to that once things open up a little bit in this COVID um, new normal that we're living in. But, yeah, I, I think it's been a, a big step forward. Can I throw in one more, Al, while we're on umpires? If a player is told to stand on the mark and a player is either faking to kick or handball and the player on the mark moves... No but the But the player didn't dispose of the ball... That player on the mark should be given the leeway to restand on the mark. Yeah. Shouldn't have an automatic 50 metre penalty paid against them. If the player with the ball is going to reset, as in not handball or not kick, the player on the mark should be able to take that step back and reset on the mark and then go back into a stand. Agreed. Mark. I remember, and AFL players, no disrespect, Dave, you're very, very good at manipulating any rules that come in or working into your advantage. I remember talking to Scott Pendlebury in the lead-up to the opening game that he played last season when the stand rule came in, and he said that they had been practising at training fake handballs on the mark to try and coax the 50-metre penalty. So, yeah, agree with you on that one, Lingy. Um, time's getting away from us. Dave Mundy's just played his 358th game. So he goes into outright 13th on the most games played in the history of the AFL. And he goes past 
the little master, Gary Ablett Jr. into Outright 13. Oh, so wow. keep racking him up, Dave. But that takes me nicely onto the business of this weekend because you've had some interesting encounters down at Cadinia Park over the years. There was a final you won down there. Sonny Walters not so long ago had a shot and missed to win the game as well. You've, what, kicked a goal after the siren down there to win a game? Is that oh, I missed it. Oh, you missed. Oh, yeah. wow. You against Richmond at the MCG, didn't you? <laughs> I'd forgotten about that Geelong one. Thanks, Al. Uh, yeah. start the MCG. I'll take you back to that one instead when you kick <laughs> one after the siren to beat Richmond. Yeah, no, we've, uh, we'll stick with Geelong. I'll, we'll move forward, mate. Play on. Uh, yeah, but I just want to open the table to you two. Cameron Ling, Geelong's last premiership captain. Dave Mundy, the absolute stalwart of the Fremantle Football Club. Geelong and Fremantle at Cadinia Park this weekend. Just, I'll just let you have a little chat amongst yourselves about that if you want me. Well, can I just talk about another uh, Geelong Fremantle clash down there? I've still got uh, screws and plates in my face, courtesy of a game against Fremantle. So I don't have a lot of warm and fuzzy feelings. Still. Thank God, really. uh, that was uh, that was Dean Solomon. Dean Solomon, yeah. Yes, Solly uh, has since apologised for that, and um, we are on very, very good terms. So I, uh, I, I hesitate to bring it up, but um, yeah, there's been some fiery clashes. There's been some big games, um, and as often is the case at uh, GMHBA Stadium. Um, there's also it's a hard place for interstate teams to come when they're in a a younger rebuilding mode. It can be a bit, a bit of a hard ground to play at. But um, you worry, aren't you, Lingy? He's clutching at straws. He's nervous. nervous. Yeah. I was going to say, I look at this Fremantle team and the way that they're playing. The way that they play suits playing at GMHBA Stadium because there's no mucking around. There's no you don't have the big wide open spaces where you can just chip, 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 do all that sort of nonsense. If you're prepared to go forward and get it in quick, it's a good ground to attack from. Um, do you do you do you train for the different size ground, Dave? Do you do anything like that when you when you're sort of preparing for this game? You know, it is a bit thinner, a bit longer. Yep. Um, do, do you change the ground dimensions at all? I know that we can at Coburn, um, and for me, historically, it was really similar to Subiaco, yeah. um, which I've played a lot at. Not many others in Fremantle anymore have, but um, I know that, yeah, we'll talk about it's it's a weird shape, it's a funny dimension, there's a stand missing at one end at the moment, um, and we have both ends of um, both ends of the spectrum in our history there. We've had really great wins, but some really horrible losses as well, so... Um, hopefully we can be more toward the really great win side of that spectrum on the weekend, but it certainly takes a little bit more thought and given Geelong's history there, they're um, a super strong team and again, uh, backing up another great season. I reckon it was about 2001, 2002. Now this, what was your first year, Dave? Sorry. 04. 04. So I reckon this just before you, there was a game there where, I think Jeff Farmer may or may not have got hypothermia or certainly had symptoms of it. Um, I reckon a couple of our players were almost going to refuse to come out back out after half time. We had players sitting in the spa in our rooms. We we were lucky. We had the warmth of the spa, and they were like, "We're not, we're not coming back out." I think Ronnie Burns might have said, "I'm not playing." Bad luck. Um, there were guys in the GFL, the local Geelong Football League, who actually did get hypothermia and uh, ended up in hospital from it. It was one of the most horrendously cold days in the Geelong region's history, and that was against Fremantle as well. <laughs> there was another game that I was a part of as well, actually, and um, I guess really coincidentally, the uh, interstate team, our interchange bench, filled up with water. So we had our little plastic chairs up on the side of the ground, <laughs> freezing, middle of winter in Geelong. And again, the Geelong boys were coming off, cycling through the hot showers. Um, yeah, that was a day to forget. Dave, it's been awesome having you on the pod this week again, mate. Thanks so much. Great to see how well your team's going and how well you're going. Good luck this weekend. It's a, another great challenge for your young group. And, and Lingy, always good to chat to you as well. We'll do it this week. We've done it on a Monday night following the, the festivities around uh, the weekend of football and obviously the poignance of Anzac Day leading into two great games of footy today. Back to convention next week. So we'll have our pot out for you, the Alan Lingy Show, on Monday morning following the round of football, round seven, which kicks off with West Coast and Richmond. And that match is at Optus Stadium on Friday night. Seven, we'll have coverage for you live and free on Friday night and across the course of the weekend. Great chatting, lads. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Lingy. 
Al and Lingy Show. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.